DB3 Game Developers Drinking Good Arab Tea. My name is Rami Ismail. I'm your host for this episode. And I'm your co-host, Osama Darius. And there, there's no... Should I there's do no, my... There, show, yeah, do your Fauzi Should I do my... And I'm Fauzi Metzmar! Wow, Fauzi, glad to I hear was... you're here as well. <laughs> he said he might be late, but I'm just glad you're here. Folks, folks, I know I'm very convincing. That was not Fozy. That was me pretending. It wasn't? <laughs> really? It wasn't. I wow. know, I know. It's hard to believe. I, I, <laughs> I'm getting I'm better sure. and better at that impersonation. I mean, okay. okay, Osama. Osama, if you say you're Osama, right? Prove to me that you're not actually Fozy doing very convincing Osama impression. Uh, I like hugs. Actually, Fozy also likes hugs. <laughs> Fozy also likes hugs. <laughs> No, I'm he being bamboozled here. I'm being bamboozled. <laughs> you don't even know who you're talking to. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, the one way I could find out, I think, is I think Fauzi would be able to describe Osama's chin. And I think Osama would be able to describe the top of Fauzi's head. <laughs> this is the only way. That's a trick question because I can't describe the top of his head because of the glare. I've never actually seen it. So, yeah, so you're Osama. See? Yeah, you, you got that, it. The only way you would know that if you've been blinded by the glare off of Fozzie's head. No other way. And if he was blinded by the glare of my chin, right? Well, that doesn't work. That's not how that works at all. Doesn't work. <laughs> awesome. See? How you doing, Yorami? Alhamdulillah, I'm in Saudi Arabia actually at the moment, so I'm uh, I'm in Saudi. It's nice to be in the Arab world for a bit. That's awesome. Yeah, I I was actually going to go back to the Middle East in April. I was invited to go back, but I had a conflict, so unfortunately, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I had my hopes up. I had a whole thing planned, and then I looked at the dates of the two things I was invited to, and they were on the same week. And I, I'm no. not going to be able to make that work. It's too hard. No. I'm not a Rami. I can't. <laughs> I can't no. land, do my talk, and like fly out again. I can't. Well, do that. if they need a backup, <laughs> just point them in my direction. You know, I just might. After this, no. we'll I'll, uh, we'll talk about it. That's good. That's good. How's your How's your week been? Like, I'm I'm in Saudi Arabia. It's warm, but not too warm. It's nice. The people are like good people. Uh, good food. Like, I'm I'm having a blast. How's How's your time? My last week has been amazing, other than the weather. It's been incredibly cold in Montreal, which is par for the course for January. So yeah. I'm less worried. We had a really warm November and a mostly warm December. And, I, you know, like, I can't enjoy it because I'm like, this is not good. This is not normal. And right. uh, now that everything is back in, like, as frigid as it usually is, I'm like, okay, I could breathe now. It's not as bad as I think it, you know, as, as it could be. Otherwise, I think I mentioned last week that uh, I was commissioning art for my board game. My first piece of art came in, and I love it. So exciting. Yeah, it's so cool. So hopefully uh, I'll uh, I'll have something to show at some point. But like right now, I'm just, you know, commissioning more little pieces, doing some playtesting, polishing it up. I'm super excited about it. So good. good things are happening. Yeah, that sounds like it. What are you doing in Saudi, if you don't mind me asking? So there's this program that has existed for a long time across the world called uh, um, Game Founders. 
Oh. And uh, Game Founders has existed in many places. It existed in Kuala Lumpur. It has existed in Estonia. It has existed in many places. And effectively, it's an incubator slash accelerator program for young games industries. So I've I've worked with them quite a few times uh, because they keep going to territories where I think you know there's there's opportunity for the industry to to rapidly grow. So um, Saudi Arabia is obviously like a very interesting uh, place right now for for game development. There's a lot of interest. The the youth is um, more optimistic about the future than than they've ever been. I think uh, here in the country, um, there's a lot of focus of moving away from the old, like you know, oil industry and fuel industry towards new industries. And you're seeing projects like Neom and the Line and a lot of investment in video games. So basically. You know the the local government here, for for all of its faults, is investing very heavily into um, into game development and into uh, digital media, and a part of that comes with the um, comes with the notion that there needs to be more jobs in games. Part of it comes with the notion that there needs to be uh, incentives for AAA to be here, and part of it comes with the notion that there needs to be grown a local community of game developers. Uh, and that last part is obviously where I come in. That's that's sort of my specialty around the world. Is like how do we create healthy and sustainable independent communities? So um, that's what I'm here for. So I'm mostly uh, training um, this this sort of first and second generation, first and second batch of of game developers. And you know, we're talking about groups of like sixty to eighty people each time. I think. And um, that is so exciting and so important. Yeah. I- you know, I was looking at the room earlier. And yeah. I was just thinking of like early indie days. Mm. Uh, just like global indie and just sort of recognizing the vibe, you know, like everybody's excited. <laughs> Nobody knows what they signed up for. It's uh. like, there's like, a, there's like an optimism. There's an optimism and there's a, a naivete as to how hard things are actually going to get. Um, I see. But everybody is there because they firmly believe that there is an opportunity and that the opportunity is tied to their ability to create things. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, we all know if you've been in the industry a bit longer, you know, that sort of like rubs off of you. Like, it's not just about how yeah. good your work is. It's not just about, no. it's not just about being good. It's not just about working hard. It's not just like, there's a bit of luck. There's a bit of bad luck. There's a bit of circumstance of context of privilege of, um, of oppression. There's like all sorts of things that play into whether you can make a game. But they also have a benefit, which is that back when we were doing this, when we were figuring it out, there was nobody to tell us. Yep. Nobody could tell us what we were signing up for. And like it's so cool to be paying it forward to this new generation of creators and, and developers and to be explaining to them the mistakes we've made, the lessons we've learned, the things we've seen, um, and the sort of like the 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 ways that you could think or could choose to think about a lot of these things, and there's just an excitement and an eagerness and a hunger. Um, it's reinvigorating, you know. No, absolutely. I I don't know exactly what, what you're talking about because I haven't lived that experience. But the closest parallel from my life that I can think of is at the end of each at the beginning of each semester, when we get new students coming into our independent game design program. It they it's the same thing. We have to give them like 
multiple lectures about the hard lessons of the industry. It's not, and, and a lot of it is overlaps with what you're talking about. It's not just you and your skill. You have to do your best so that when the opportunity happens, you're ready for it. But you don't control when the opportunity comes or even if it comes. And you have to be mentally prepared for that. Otherwise, you have to manage your expectations, right? No, right. They don't know what they don't know. And that's normal. We None of us know what we don't know. So we have mm-hmm. to do our best to prepare them for every possible outcome. And it's yep. hard. It's hard on them. It's hard on us. Yeah, they're very open to it, though. Like I talked today about how like I expect that 80 to 90 percent of the games are, are not going to be successful. And they just they were just like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, the, yeah. this is one thing I've noticed about um, um, emergent territories, marginalized territories is they're way more familiar with the sense of like things not working out. And they're less uh, scared of it. Sense. Yeah, they're less scared of it, sense. right? You go to like you go to Montreal, you go to the Netherlands, you tell people, hey, like ninety percent of the games here are gonna fail and people are gonna freak out. They are. They're they're not used to having that kind of fail rate. It's not normal. Right. Usually you, you set on a goal and your chances of achieving it are pretty high because of all the privileges you have from being in exactly these, in these and you know, obviously that changes when you're talking to more marginalized groups in the Netherlands, in Montreal. But yes still even even for the more marginalized identities in in those areas you know like intersectionality starts playing in like okay you have the privileges of being in a western country and a country where you have relatively easy access to visas and stuff like that here getting to gdc is an unlikelihood like ever yeah it's not a given right even if you have the given. money which is already difficult to have even if you have like exactly. something to show a letter from the organizers you could have all of these stacked in your favors and you could still be denied without when reason. you come to the region it doesn't necessarily matter right so i think yeah. the idea of things not working out is just so much more natural to people that are marginalized that face oppression that uh, you know um, um have to deal with rejection frequently and so when you tell people, you know, you're going to send your pitch out to like 50, 60 publishers and you might, you know, at best you might get three or four responses. They're like, well, that's four better than we have now. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. Like, nice. Good. Yeah. That's, that's the attitude. Right. So mm-hmm. they're scrappy. They're resilient. You know, they can, they can, Good. they can deal with the realities of game development. And I think that's really exciting to see as well. Like they might not know what they signed up for, but they're, they're definitely better equipped for what it's going to be like than I was when I started as an indie where, you know, I didn't have super high expectations, but you know, my first game sold for $10,000. Yeah. So for me, like, it was like, that was sort of like the, that was the low bar. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a lot of money for the amount of work we put in, but it was a lot of money for a 20 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So who had never made ten thousand dollars before, probably never right? even seen a number that I'd never even seen three zeros on my bank account. Right? Like that just, it had never happened. I had a I had a side job that paid me eight hundred, uh, eight hundred a month, and then I had four hundred and twenty five in rent. So I just I never made it over a thousand, maybe once or twice, but like it was not a that that was rare. And then suddenly there were like four zeros, and that was uh, that was wild. Um, yeah, I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it it was an amazing moment. I remember running through the building and high fiving. Like it was it was just remarkable. Um but that's kind of the reality of it, right? Like you know, like things don't work out until they do and they might never, but you know, it's the until until they do that you have to be prepared for as you were saying earlier. Exactly. 
Wow, I'm super happy that you have that experience. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's so important to be able to lend assistance to these places. Often what they are missing, I mean, a lot of things, I could give you a long list of things, but often what they're <laughs> missing is they have the initiative. They just, they need the mentorship. They just need someone to who's walked it before to be able to tell them, uh, you know, like what the path ahead might look like. And of right. course, they need money. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not really, going to deny right? that. Like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this is one thing I've noticed is, especially in the Western world, the urge to fix everything with access to knowledge is very yeah. overwhelming. But yeah. unless you back that knowledge up with opportunity, knowledge yes. won't help. Right, you can exactly. teach people how to deal with a budget, but if they never get the budget, it, you know it's great that you can calculate a budget, but it's not exactly. actually helpful. So yeah, you're very right in identifying that that's the combination of things that you need. You need financial and commercial opportunity, and you need knowledge. And I think in a lot of territories like this, you know what the the final boss is for me? Mm-hmm. It's the parents. The parents are the final boss. When the parents start going, you know what, game development is great. Like, you know, I'm glad my kid is a game developer. You know, it's it's that's when you've done it. That's when I that's when I stop going to places. Right, job's done. But when you start getting parents being proud of a game developer kid, especially in like as you move towards the east or the south, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. So I guess that has a lot to do with culture, like the the stigma Mm -hmm. against this profession specifically. Um, yeah. And that changes the more other people from that region or from that background start being successful in that field because uh, exactly. you can't, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't fight that. Like once you see it, you can't deny mm-hmm. it. Oh, that person's successful, Maybe. and he went through That's this exactly path. It. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly so it. this is a problem that, inshallah, by just working on it, it'll solve itself. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, if one kid is successful, if any of these developers is successful, that's the story that all of them are going to be able to tell their parents, right? Exactly. Because right now, their parents are saying, oh, my kid's going to go into video games. Oh, no, like, this is, you know, it's basically worse than musician. Yeah. Right? Or or uh, or painter. Like, for, and I, you know, nothing wrong with those jobs. They're amazing jobs, right? If you can make your money doing that stuff, amazing. But... The honest truth is most parents around the world will be terrified of that notion. Of course. Right? So if you can get it to a point where parents look at that job and they go like, you know what? This is good. Then it means that you've created sustainability. The job Mm -hmm. has cultural acceptance. The job has prestige, which is also important. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The the job is tied to economical, uh, economical stability or ability. Uh, there's an understanding of the craftsmanship or the professionalism involved. Like, if you can hit all of those targets, that's a really big deal. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, you know, it was my first awesome. flight of the year. <clears throat> um, <laughs> oh, my first true. international flight of the year. Yeah. Two weeks into the year, this is a slow year for you. <laughs> it is a slow year. Well, you know, like it's been a slow start of the year, but it's yeah. a slow. It's it's been a slow year to start, but. Um, I uh, I also means it also means I watched my first airplane movie. Oh, what was your first airplane movie? It was bad. It was called Is that Moonfall. W- oh, I thought that's what it was called. It was bad. Oh, Moonfall. Uh, Moonfall. Yeah. So uh, about that, about- I started watching <laughs> Moonfall. 
on a plane and I did not get very far. You didn't finish? I, no, I No, I, I did time. not. Finish. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about it. I, I finished it. So uh, I'm going to spoil the entire movie. Uh, it's been out. It's not good. And it's not going to be better or worse for knowing how it goes. So in case you don't want to, if you, in case you don't want to hear the spoilers, uh, I don't know what's, what's wrong with you because like, honestly, there's, there's nothing good about this movie. And you Just keep skipping ahead that. until we're not talking about Moonfall right. anymore. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. The, the, the thing with Moonfall is it is genuinely a very good premise for a disaster movie, right? So the, the premise is one of the manned orbital missions goes wrong when the space station is attacked by weird like nanomachine swarm in space and then the swarm attacks the moon. And then for 10 years nothing 10 years nothing happens except for that the astronaut who like survived the thing you know split up with their partner who was also an astronaut on that mission which seems like a problem. And then uh, they've fallen from grace because nobody believes the nano machines. And then suddenly the moon leaves its orbit and starts crashing towards the Earth. And they have like three what? orbits, and the orbits are like sl- shorter and shorter because the moon is getting closer. Mm-hmm. So you know you you have a good. This is a yeah. good three arc structure. It's an right. exciting premise, right? You could make a right? really good trailer out of that. You can make <laughs> such a good trailer out of that. Yeah. And that's also the most you're going to get out of it. Because if the moon <laughs> was crashing to Earth, we would just die. It wouldn't be spectacular. The atmosphere yeah. would get sucked off of our planet as the moon crumbles into thousands of meteors that destroy all humanity on Earth. That doesn't make for a very interesting movie. So... We do every trope from every disaster movie ever. We followed the weird scientist who was the first person to recognize it. We follow the two computer people who stay behind and pass away as they try to escape. We follow the hero and the hero's partner and the hero's new partner or the hero's or the hero's partner's new partner. And we follow a bunch of kids. And if you try to copy paste it harder from Independence Day, you you have a hard time. Right? And then it just plays out so beat by beat. The crazy scientist person was totally right. The moon is a spaceship. And we're now part of an intergalactic war between the people who made that spaceship, which is our ancestors, and the nanomachines. And we're going to get consciousnesses beamed up. The crazy scientist is going to sacrifice himself to redeem himself. And... The family, the new partner of the one of the main characters' exes dies, so now they can get back together. And I'm just watching it, and I'm like, oh my god. Okay, you know what? Then you sold me on this movie. I'm gonna go back and finish it. This sounds amazing. <laughs> it is. And it so, sounds incredible. <laughs> it is so deliciously cliche that yeah. I really don't feel like my life is enriched or any better for having watched it. Yep. I didn't enjoy the movie. I didn't come out of it thinking like, wow, you know, that was worth it. But also it was impossible to look away from me for most of it. This is like, oh, I know what's so coming. Does it fall into the so bad it's good category? At Here's all? the thing. I think it's arguable. I think the final twist where the moon actually is a spaceship 
totally worth it. Which totally worth it. I I did not make it that far, so no. th- that was is news to me. Right. I, like I didn't. I think I watched fifteen or twenty minutes, and just the, I just was like, this is not for me. Right. And I moved. They on, even so moved they on. even stole the nuclear the, the the nuclear throne. Wow. The, they even stole the Independence Day. Beat. <laughs> oh no! Are you gonna sue them? Yeah. yeah. They <laughs> even stole the Independence Day beat where they tried to nuke oh, no, the thing. No. No, but then they they have to like not do it because it will kill everybody on Earth. <laughs> uh, because they're nuking the moon, but they can't nuke it before it reaches the orb, like it reaches the atmosphere. Yep. So yep. they they are gonna wait until the moon is over the atmosphere and then throw all our nukes at it. And I'm like, this is the worst plan <laughs> in the history of ever. Because now we're not just gonna die from the impact of the moon; we're gonna die from the impact of an irradiated moon. Yeah, which is even worse. I mean, just like, like take the impact, <laughs> right? Just die yeah. on, like, just death on impact, please. Like, what is happening? But yeah, no, it, incredibly bad movie, not worth your time. If you are okay with that, it's totally worth your time. Excellent. I'm looking forward to finishing it. Never. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, on that note. Uh, I watched a movie. Do you want to hear about it? Was it good? It doesn't sound as bad as Moonfall. Okay. Uh, so the, the, the movie that I watched is called Troll. Um, Troll? And Troll. It's, it's a movie. Where was it made? I think it was made in Norway. Am I wrong? Wait, hold on. Let me look it up. Okay. But uh, basically, it's a very typical, um, you know, Norwegian. Uh, no, oh, it's Norwegian. There we go. Very typical monster, giant monster movie. Um, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it to you. If you watch the trailer or if you waited five minutes into the movie, you would know that there's a giant troll in it. Uh, so it has this layer of, you know, uh, the, this is true. It's always been true, but when Christianity came, we stopped believing in the trolls, and because we stopped believing in them, we stopped seeing them. Type layer, like it's, you know, the science is real, but but folklore is real as as well. Layer type mm. of setup, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is okay. You could suspend your disbelief and be like, okay, you know what, they've always been around. Type thing. Um, the uh, number of cliches in the movie when you count, like. I couldn't stop watching because of them. Like it was in the territory of so bad. It's good to me, but I could totally see someone else not enjoying it, but I was counting cliches. There were a couple of interesting, surprising moments, but so many of the, that is impossible. And not of the, I have to suspend my disbelief impossible, more of the, within the rules that you've set up in your own world, this doesn't make sense. Impossible. right? Right. And it keeps happening. So there's this, like without without spoiling the, the the ending, there's this troll who's in a giant. Like I'm talking about, he's as big as a building. Like this is Godzilla sized mm-hmm. uh, creature, and this giant troll is in a in a cave. And there was someone who's doing like some company that was doing excavation, and they and then the troll just appears in front of hundreds of people, but they couldn't see him for some reason. And only shaky cam footage showed him. So everybody in the government thinks that it's not a troll, but it's an explosion. 
uh, of like a natural gas explosion. And then they call this paleontologist who is in the middle of excavating dinosaur bones into a meeting room with all of the head of the army, the military and the government without briefing her at all. So, and she walks in and is the only one who noticed footprints that were clearly footprints on the screen. And I can just go on with like the eye rolls. And she like figured everything out. She was the smartest person in the room. Everyone else there was an idiot. The most obvious things that like you see it right away. And I'm like, you're kidding. Like, you know, anybody could have picked up on that, but she identifies it like in, and the and everyone disbelieves her like look don't you see the footprints and everyone's like what footprints i'm looking i'm like it's right freaking there <laughs> like what right. are you talking about well they don't, that... they don't have to upgrade that upgrades their hunter vision <laughs> no but i mean like it's not even piece things together it's like look right. at the screen over and over and over there's a roar right. and they, they think it's a gas explosion and she's like don't right. you hear the roar like it, it was the most anyway, but to me it was fun. I had a good time. Right. I enjoyed it. It was terrible. It was not good, but it was it was a so bad it's good type thing because I loved seeing these scenes and trying to predict what the cliche will be in this one, and it worked out. Uh, so not Moonfall. I I don't highly recommend it, but if you like the you know trashy giant monster like cliche, I, like right. if you like Godzilla type movies, you might like it. Okay. Well, that does sound fun. Actually, I have a question yeah. for you, Osama. Yeah. Can you uh, can you do another Fauzi impression? Yeah, sure. Is this troll that you're talking about? How was my wow. impression? Osama, was that, that okay? was really good. That was really good. Thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing. You want me to do it wow. again? Yeah, do it one more time. I enjoyed the movie. It was very nice. I liked it. But I didn't like some stuff about it. Uh, it's me, Osama, doing a Fauzi impression. <laughs> I'm glad you could make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mimi Fozzi, your like your impression of me making an impression of you is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, Very meta. Just wait until you hear the impression Osama did earlier. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need to listen back. Is it, it. is it Mickey Mouse it. again? Is it Mickey Mouse again? No, it's Fauzi. It's absolutely Fauzi. It was so convincing. <laughs> Rami didn't believe it. <laughs> that it was me. I, th- I, th- I thought it was you doing an Osama impression, Fauzi, honestly. <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry, I was guys. talking about Troll and D. It's okay, man. Like, it's busy. It's busy. Yeah, yeah, my taxi driver did some like some here. serious navigations, you know, like oh, no. he, it, it was a scene of an anime as the guy dropped me over. <laughs> as long as he didn't drop you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we're happy to have you. Rami, you were in Saudi Arabia, you're saying? You also had taxi I, I incidents? Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah, I was in Riyadh, like getting driven around the amazing traffic situation here, so. I was also a little late, but we made it work. We made it work. Nice. Uh, Were you talking about about Troll, Osama? I think uh, yes, uh, talking about Troll. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I saw the trailer and I kind of like pieced things together from like the girl I heard walking in. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was troll. There was one scene in the movie that I really appreciated, where two characters said "Assalamu alaikum" to each other. Only one was Muslim, but the other like actually returned a greeting, and I was like, "Oh, that that was nice." You know, I, like just normalizing people was such a nice touch. Uh, and it wasn't really a big part of the plot or anything like that. It just it 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 felt good. You know what I mean? The and the rest of the movie was so bad it was good in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. I heard a lot of like you know people saying that it's one of those it's kind of like a kaiju movie it's like another yeah, movie exactly. that you take super seriously and you just enjoy it for what it is that's exactly it. if you like Godzilla type movies you will like it if you don't you won't it won't change your mind about it it was it's Godzilla with a twist it's Norwegian Godzilla right right oh, nice. Actually, <laughs> Norwegian curious, Godzilla did you did you uh, did you watch um, uh, Moonfall. Um, no, I haven't actually. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, it's bad. Don't Good. watch it. <laughs> listen oh, to this podcast okay. instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen to the podcast where I tell you about how Moonfall is not is not worth your time, unless you're okay uh, with movies that are not worth your time. In which case, it's worth your time. This week's episode is like the anti-recommendation episode. All the movies <laughs> you shouldn't watch, <laughs> right so here far. on the Habibis. Okay. Yep. Do Do we have actually? Uh, do we have any recommendations? Are, are Is there any good stuff that happened this week? Um. Yeah, I have one. It's uh, I I played a game called A Memoir Blue, and mm. it's it's an interesting game. So basically, it's I a, played that too, actually. Yeah. Oh, you did? Did and you finished yeah, it? Yeah. I assume since it's so short. I finished right? it. Yeah, <laughs> excellent, it's very short. Excellent. One setting. Yes, like it's actually a one-hour game. I think maybe an hour and a half. I don't think it took longer than that. I didn't time it, but it was super short. Um, yeah, and true. I I liked it, but I was really impressed by one thing. Uh, while playing it at the beginning, I'm like, wow, it feels like every scene is its own set piece. There's very little reuse. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit of, a, of of what the game is, it's kind of a narrative experience where you have very light puzzle elements to move from one s- scene to the next. And by very light, I mean sometimes it's not even a puzzle. It's just a clearly you have to move this thing here or clearly you have to click on these things. You do it and then something plays out. Uh, an animated short, sometimes it's, it's a, a 3D scene, different things like that. And it's telling... a story of the the main character without spoiling it it's the main character um is reliving uh, her memories and you're like piecing the memories together or you're playing them out in different ways it was beautiful but what was impressive to me is i was shocked it was like how not to make a game the game it's everything was new <laughs> like every scene from scene to scene from setting to setting it was like a new set piece new models new uh, like animation style stuff like that, and in my mind, I'm like, this is unsustainable. How do you like it? Would it would take forever to make a game like this? And then it ended in about or, an hour, and I'm like, okay, that's the. Or you make a <laughs> very short game. A very <laughs> short game. There's the, there's no other way. Be, like so, like when it ended, I'm like, ah, that made sense. But the entire time, I'm like, how did they find the budget to do <laughs> this? Right. Um, so that said, I it was I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had some really good moments. Uh, I'm not going to say game of the year material, but definitely a very en- enjoyable uh, experience. What about you, Fozzy? Yeah, I agree with your assessment completely. I like mm-hmm. that it's. Um, I like when somebody's making a movie about a per- uh, sorry a game about a personal experience. 
you know, like, um, and the idea that um, we are trying to use the medium of game making as a way to do a memoir or a diary of some sort or or a way to represent a part of our lives for other people to experience and maybe even try to get a little bit in our shoes as we're doing getting those experiences. I think I will always encourage that because it's like one of the most powerful things that our medium allows people to do is to step in somebody's shoes and like, you know, allows us to experience empathy towards others. So mm-hmm. um uh I would say that like, you know, I so that's the that's the part of the game I really like. I like that, you know, it's a memoir in a game form. Or like um and it's somebody trying to tell a story that is clearly deeply personal to them. Um with as little words as possible as well. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you kind of like need to project what's happening on the scenes in front of you and it's trying to weave the real and the surreal um uh, for you to kind of like put together what uh what happened and what does that mean to the person. Mm-hmm. I um I agree with you that I think that um you know like it uh, it doesn't break new grounds gameplay wise mm-hmm. or even like you know when it comes to like the the way the game is put together it's a cute little game I think I played it on Game Pass mm-hmm. and yeah you know you got an hour it's um it's a, it's an enjoyable hour to, to to play you know not game of the year material but I'm ha- I'm happy mm-hmm. it exists. Exactly. I'm happy I played it. And definitely a, an hour well spent, in my opinion. And it, it won't outlive its welcome, that's for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I like games like this, to be honest. Um, Me too. Uh, I, Me too. I actually played a similar game that um, um, it's like, you know, partially autobiographic and also at the same time very short, like you finish it in an hour or less, even. Um, mm. The game is called um, We Will Always Have Paris. Oh, have you guys mm-hmm. heard of this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, a like movie. A, uh, it, it's probably a very good title for a movie if it doesn't exist already. Yeah. Oh, um, that's a, a line from Casablanca. I was like, where ah, have I heard go. this before? It's a line <laughs> from Casablanca. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> but frankly, Osama, I don't give a damn. Uh, <laughs> Well, now I have to edit this. <laughs> it was going so well. And the Fauzi showed up. And it was just, it's just a mess. It's all just, oh my God. There we go. That was but, but the, but the delivery, it's needed, the timing. It's, it's needed for the joke, Rami. You can, you can leave it that was, in. Allah. It, my reputation could take so it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. We're leaving it. We're leaving um, it. a butter butter curse word here a butter curse word Uh, but that's the thing if if you keep it out it sounds worse so I'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) remember really early on we wanted to we wanted to replace the like loud beep with just somebody going astaghfirullah yeah, yeah, that's a bad idea. I'm really uh, glad we also experimented <laughs> with uh, Zagruta, remember? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 Instead of a well. loud beep, yeah. somebody goes better. like, la, 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 la. <laughs> 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 I remember that. Anyway, so we're talking yeah, about anyway. um, <laughs> one, uh, We Will Always Have Paris. Uh, it's also like, you know, it's a short game. I played it on Steam. Uh, roughly an hour long and um 
it has a similar similar vibe. It's kind of like Florence esque, you know, like mm. uh, Memoir Blue is also uh, similar to that. It's kind of like telling a story about um, uh, this person and his relationship to his uh, missus as he goes about his day. And I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to spoil anything. It's such a short game. Like I could say two words and like literally spoil the whole game. But I think mm-hmm. like um, it follows a similar thing that the Memoir Blue has in which like it is just uh, autobiographical, heartfelt, and it also allows you to feel empathy towards a very specific situation. Um, and yeah, once you realize what that situation is as the game unfolds, um it hits you in a very interesting way. It goes like, oh, okay, I see where this is going, and this is, like, you know, interesting. Mm. Uh, and it's a game made by two people. Like, it's a uh, a modest game is how I describe it. You know, like, you know, mm. just a couple of people working together and making a labor of love kind of thing. You know, just wanting the game to exist, it feels. And I kind mm. of, like, celebrate that. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, recommend it. If you, if you get your hands on it and you have a, an hour or less to spare, it's uh it's worth checking out. I wish listed. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. I do have another game I want to talk about. Okay. I don't know if did I uh I'll, I'll talk about this game and then I handed this back to you uh, Osama just because like you know no, no, go the for game it, go you for it. The game you play is kind of similar to the like in in theming to the two games I played which is like you know some of those like profound games. We're in sync. I played I play, yeah, we are. It's, it's almost like we've been talking regularly for the past <laughs> couple of years. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I played a game, but this one, I played this on PS5. Um, it's called Endling uh, Extinction mm-hmm. is Forever. Yep. Hmm. So these are indie games, so like I know for a fact that Rami knows all of them, but Rami's always in a position of like he either knows the games before they come out or when they were yeah. an idea or when they were a gift yeah, that right. somebody tweeted at him or he played it in some event or something like this. So I don't even oh. bother asking Rami, do you know this game? <laughs> I didn't play no. this game, but I think I think it was nominated for an award, and that's how yeah, I found it was, out about it. It was it was yes. it's it's uh, it's um, Spanish. Oh wow! Uh, beautiful, yeah. beautiful game. Anyway, folks, you go beautiful go. game, yeah. a beautiful game. Um, so I played it on PS5, but it's out on pretty much everything. I think it's on Switch, PS4, Xbox, Windows, even on Android. So you can play it on everything. Uh, I'll start off right off the back, just commenting on what Rami said. It is gorgeous. Like, the art style is wonderful. Um, it is like this uh, cartoony, uh, atmospheric cartoony style, kind of like mm-hmm. cel-shaded and how it's working. Mm-hmm. It is a 2.5D style game in which, like, you're going right to left with, like, sometimes you go into the depth and then the camera switches and now you're going back right and left as well. Um, you play as a mother fox who has a bunch of cubs that just basically tries to survive you know like uh day in day out you um um you try to go get food for your cubs you you venture outside of your um uh, den right it's a fox's den right mm-hmm. um you venture outside you try to get some food and then you bring that back to your cubs and hopefully you know like nothing bad happens to you while you're outside and then, like, eventually the cubs grow to the point that they can start following you outside. And then, like, you go out and, you know, teach them 
how to live life and you venture outside you know away from your dens area more and more to kind of like try to get food and all of that at the end of every day you need to go back to your den that's how the day ends and if it's nighttime and you're still out it kind of like bad things happen so what you want to do is that you you know you get out of the den and you have the daytime to explore as much as you want as the of the world try to find things that will uh, guarantee your survival for you and your cubs and then go back before nightfall and um, the area around the den is um, being heavily affected by mankind so to say um, so there are like uh, industry there's factories that are like really damaging the environment around you sometimes there are man-made fires that go out of hand and burn forests and stuff like that there's uh, bear traps so like there's um uh, there's all kinds of like you know human meddling with nature that mm-hmm. makes the game so much more difficult for you as the fox to survive with your cubs and uh, yeah it i think that's beautiful. that's again gorgeous yeah, game. So like what's uh, also just the narrative is beautiful like it, the whole thing is beautiful and it's um again like you know a way to 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 make you feel what it's like to be you know somebody else and in this case to be you know uh, what what's it like for those creatures to some extent and mm-hmm. uh, you know like how their day-to-day is difficult and how we are making it more difficult for them so to say uh, yeah uh really really cool game i love the concept yeah yeah awesome. recommend yeah, it they, for sure i i really love so without saying too much i really love how they sneak in so much um by the end you feel so much about the human impact on the world right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as you're playing through it you're just so you become so poignantly aware of how much easier things would have been for for these creatures if we hadn't messed it all up for them uh-huh. and i just thought that was really powerfully done it's a beautiful beautiful yeah trying it yeah truly and you said it's also not a very long experience uh, it's no. a bit longer than the other two games um but it's you know not that long i like this trend <laughs> Please, people, make yeah. short games that I could finish. <laughs> this is like this one's like five, six hours, but like you know, your game could finish very quickly <laughs> if you like if, you don't, if you're not very careful. Like, you can, <laughs> oh, yeah. so you it's can as finish short the as game Elden in Ring, minutes, right? <laughs> if you want, yeah, yeah like, exactly. I, 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 I looked it up. It's four. It took about four hours for me. So, cool. Okay, that's a very reasonable amount of time. I love it. That's great. I played another game if you want to hear about it, but my well, this yes, game is please. completely completely different than the like in the other ones that we were discussing. Um, okay. It's called You Suck at Parking. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically, in this game, it's kind of like a, a gauntlet where you are racing a car, racing between quotation marks. Uh, but it's like uh, the what's that? I always forget how it's like tank controls that's what the word i'm looking for so the cars and tank controls the camera's fixed if if you could get an idea it's zoomed out and you have a lot of these little mini cars that you're that are drive, driven on the screen and you're controlling one of them 
in a gauntlet uh, obstacle course where there are individual like little tiny parking spots all over the map. You can park at any one of them, if you can, try your best. Uh, and if you do successfully, you score a point, you can't park at that same one again, and you restart the, the gauntlet. The catch is, if you stop at any point, it considers that you parked, and if it's not on a parking spot, you fail and you start over again. Uh, so you have a time limit, and all the cars are trying to park in as many spots as possible. Um, I think I, I covered all of the gameplay because it, it's pretty simple. I mean, there are okay, obstacles. Let me, let, so me, there's like... let me try. Let, let me try. Let me give it a shot. All right, it's go for it. It's a realist, realistic parking simulation game. <laughs> especially, especially the jumps and the magnets are just yes, like... Yes, yes. Yeah. And, the, and the teleporters and the flamethrowers. Usually, yeah. when I can't find when I can't find parking, I always use the nearest teleporter. Yep, they're they're little fun touches. Like if you catch fire, you can still drive, but on a time limit. You have like yeah. five seconds to still make it in your parking spot and and stop. And you could pass on the fire to other cars if you bump into them. So <laughs> there's a lot of potential chaos from a lot of different scenarios. Uh, so it's fun. I actually thought it was really fun. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that after doing that for a few online sessions, um, that was enough. I was I was ready to move on from it. It was intensely fun for a few rounds, and then I was like, okay, I've had it. So I don't know if it if other people will react to it differently and will see it as a long experience. But what I thought was really funny. Uh, and I, I don't mean this to insult the devs at all because like like I just like like their naming of the thing. The game comes with a battle pass, and it's not the type of game that I would normally associate with a battle pass that people would play for a long time, like you know, like a Call of Duty or a Fall Guys or that kind of thing. It felt like a fun little distraction you play here and there, not a thing that you show up again season to season to see what content they unlock. So already that I thought that was, oh, okay, that's interesting, unexpected. And then I laughed out loud when I saw that they called the battle pass a parking pass. <laughs> <laughs> so well, they're being they sold facetious me. the entire yeah. time. <laughs> yes. So I thought that oh, was really, funny. really funny. It's, um, um, still, it's, it's a game I think sorry. would be more fun if you play. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just to, to no, wrap no, up go quickly. Ahead, go ahead. It's a game uh, I thought would be really fun to play with with friends. Maybe that would make it last longer. I played it alone, um, but uh, I would recommend at least trying it out. It might be your your a little bit more your cup of tea than mine, but I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, Rami, did you play it as well? You sounded yeah, like yeah, you did. Belgian developer. I've I've been playing it for a long time. Uh, amazing little crew and and just such a lovely, joyful little thing. I would agree. I don't think it's a game that has staying power. I I think it doesn't need staying power. Um, mm. I, I, you know, your experience with it is very much my experience with it, which is like, wow, I played it. I loved it so much. Mm. And then when I was done with it, I was also just happy that it was done. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And I, th I think that that's fair. Not every game has to be replayable forever. Sometimes you just want a new, interesting, unique experience for a while. And then once you've experienced it, you can move on. It's totally fair. It looks very funny. It looks like, you know, you can yeah. have a funny, you know, enjoy it, playing it with friends or like stream it and just, you know, laugh about for yep. a bit. Yeah, absolutely was. Yes. 
Um, and that was my games for this week. Did we miss any games that we want to talk about? Honestly, I played Dicey Dungeons on mobile. It's out on mobile. If you like Dicey Dungeons, not on mobile. It's really good on mobile. <laughs> if you didn't like Dicey, Dicey Dungeons, Dungeons not on it's mobile. very good. So good. Don't I... play it on mobile because it's the same game on mobile. If you haven't played Dicey <laughs> Dungeons, listen to Fauzi. Go play yeah. Dicey Dungeons on whatever platform you like. It is such a clever yes. game. Like the way they use yeah. the dice mechanics for combat is something that, like, as a designer, I, I, I'm pretty sure you two have the same experience. It's one of those why didn't I think of that moments where yeah. it's like so oh, obvious, yeah. oh yeah, and so good, doubt. and yeah, it's Harry like Kavanaugh it's right in front of our up face. With that mechanic yeah. was just like I'm just like listen, you can't you can't do that. You can't. It's, this yeah. is not okay. This is too good. Yeah. I'm jealous now. Yes. <laughs> exactly brilliant game i still like i still have my same uh save file of dicey dungeons that i jump in and I play a couple of games yeah, here and there yeah. with a new character or i advance and now it's on while. my phone so i was flying and in between like me being tired of moonfall i play a game of dicey dungeons that sounds <laughs> phenomenal so I, uh, shall... for me it's like uh slay the spires one of those two to oh, three yeah. games I have, I have this slay the spire and tetris on my xbox yeah. at all times so that like right. whenever i have 10 minutes to play i will fire up one of those three games and play yeah. i must yeah. have easily over a thousand hours on slay the spire between all the different consoles and <laughs> i have it on that. everything and i Stupid. jump from one thing to the next That's i just checked and I have the 300... spire is an osama game for sure yeah 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 it's totally my game uh just on steam i have 340 hours so and i have it wow. on xbox and i have it on switch and i have it on my phone so over a thousand easy easy Ooh. worth it worth it yeah, yeah amazing yeah. such game. a good game masterpiece game there you go. Uh, so how about we do some mail? What do y'all think? Yeah, we yeah. You said last week that there was some interesting mail. Yes. So there's a one new one that I'd like to read and one old one that I'd like to read. Uh, that Both are a little bit lengthy, so let's give them the time that they deserve. But the so the, yes. If I have an email, how do I send it? <laughs> so if you have an email, make me very happy. And send it to info at thehabibis.com. That's info at thehabibis.com. You will make us oh, yeah. all happy, but mostly me. Mostly you. <laughs> I love email. <laughs> so we I have... have such a hard time figuring I feel like Osama's talking to Osama at this point. These impressions are really good. <laughs> I, You'll see. You're going to regret it because now I'm going to send us email. Okay. <laughs> We're going to read it online. You're not going to be happy. You gave me the idea, Yarami. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's do this so we have an email from frequent writer and uh one of my favorite writers because he writes so much jose and jose writes sup habibis while rami managed to make a compelling and passionate enough reason to keep dwarf fortress in the top three on your list this year i think he undersold its history that led right up to its release this year not the least of which dwarf fortress was free even to this day, you can go to the website and download basically the full suit of generators and simulation that comprises the core game, free of charge. While it's true that a version with vivid graphics and UX had made the game more accessible to yet another degree, the only reasons its development started was because its creators needed health insurance. Think about how that must have felt for them. I'm sure it was complicated on so many levels, but in the end, it's a tragedy of necessity that brought us here. Rami was also somewhat understanding, uh, sorry, understating the development period. While the first notable release was in 2006, 
Tarn Adams has been working on Dwarf Fortress since 2002. At some point this year, there will probably be parts of the game that are old enough to be in college. Still, what a a wild 15 years it's been since its release. The Adams Brothers have maintained regular devlogs since the beginning, and we can only begin to guess how many game developers they've inspired and educated over the years. Just reading a few of them is enough to really get a sense of the degree of their humility, determination, and slightly odd sense of humor. Here's to 15 more years of Dwarf Fortress development. As many of our, or as few as they want, they deserve them all. Jose. Thank you, Jose. That was a beautiful, um, a beautiful email. I just have to say, I'm, I've met Tarn Adams, and he is one of the most humble people I've ever met really kind like soft smile and it doesn't raise his voice you have to sometimes ask him to repeat what he just said a couple of times that kind of thing and i that i really have a a fondness for people like that who don't take up space even though like they're huge figures in our industry just because of their influence and, and you know of what they did right yeah wow i i would never like you know i, I know rami put quite a you know the good word for the game but i feel like i feel like i missed out by not following following up on this game as it's being developed especially knowing that it's since 2002 right you know that's yeah that's that's almost my entire career you know like like the (laughs) they started making this game around the same time i started making games yeah (laughs) and it's been going on since it's it's longer than my career. I joined the industry in 2007, so it predates by five years. And yeah, I, I was making like crappy little flash games before that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm still really, really, really impressed by how long it's been. Uh, yeah. And what kind of impact? He's right. He's absolutely right by how many people must have learned how to make games from those devlogs. The, the number is astounding. And, and how many other games it must have influenced just because of how highly systemic it is too. So, shall we go on to the next email? Thank you for that email, Jose. It was really great. We have another heartfelt email uh, by Charles. This is a, an oldie, one of the ones that we didn't get to at the time that he sent it. So, sorry about that, Charles. But we did read the email, and we replied to him by email at the time. And I think this email warrants um, a reading on the air. Uh, and so, I'll start. Charles writes, Dear Habibis, it's taken me six months, but I've finally finished listening to every episode of the Habibis, including all the Sahur bites. You've become wow. a regular part of my weekly media consumption, and I wanted to thank you all. Aww. Um, also, Osama seems to take such joy in receiving email, so it's a good reason to reach out this way. Yes, it is. Listen to yes. Charles. Please do it. Info at thehabibis.com. <laughs> Info at thehabibis.com. <laughs> So Charles writes, I'm a middle-aged father of two in the United States, and I've been playing video games for 40 years now. Since I was sitting on my father's knee and hitting the spacebar to drop death charges on submarines on a small green and black monochrome screen, computer and video games have been a huge part of my entire life and is still one of my major hobbies. As I'm getting older, I find my taste in games are changing significantly. I've no interest in war shooters like Call of Duty and the like, and don't really play anything with realistic violence at all these days. I think I see the world more clearly now than when I was younger, and I've lost my taste for that sort of entertainment in games and in other media. Is this happening Mm -hmm. to any of you as well? I don't consider it a bad change at all, really, just interesting. Uh, Plus, more and more, 
of my gaming is with my young children, and that affects a lot of my decisions as to what to play. It's a joy to have a reliable co-partner, sorry, co-op partner in my older child, with Minecraft Dungeons being our go-to game this year. This year, which is last year. For <laughs> my younger mm-hmm. one is fascinating by, uh, fascinated by Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. Piggy with the watering can, <laughs> even if he just wants to run around with the start in the starting village. And the pandemic spurred me to dust off the Nintendo Wii, still working after 16 years. Wow, it's been that long! So no, that we can have Wii bowling tournaments when Grandma comes to visit. I want to bring up something important before I sign off. I appreciate that your show highlights that the three of you are great friends and care about one another, which is evident from your interactions. I think too much of American culture Mm -hmm. pushes boys and men away from publicly expressing emotion to and care for one another, and it's unhealthy. And with the world being what it is, your show is a welcome and heartwarming demonstration of a better way. I look forward to listening to your show for as long as you'll make it. Best regards, Charles. And wait, wait. This is the best part of an amazing email. P.S. Osama, the dad jokes are excellent. Oh, come Keep on. Them coming. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing email until the, the very end. All the way until after you got past Charles. Charles, why did you have to ruin it? <laughs> don't listen to the Charles. Don't you are the best. Just don't what encourage Osama. What are you doing? <laughs> so in the middle of that beautiful email, there was a question. And it's uh, basically, have our gaming habits changed as we get older? Um, who wants to take it first? Um, I could start. I think that there's like, you know, if I were to break it down, there's two aspects of this. Like uh, my... One of it was like distaste towards violent games. I guess with me going like game of the year for Elden Ring, like <laughs> that hasn't changed that much in that way. Like I don't think like violence in games or something like this is a metric in which I choose the game on or not. Though I have a, I have a bigger place in my heart for games that uh, manage to uh, create a meaningful experience without having to resort to violence or guns or anything like that. In fact, you know, I much prefer to find games like that and i would hope that we'll be having more and more games like that which like we don't have to rely on violence to sell video games so um, i kind of agree um with uh, with the general direction i think mm-hmm. like uh, my gaming habits kind of changed i uh when i was younger i was a much more competitive gamer i think by that i mean mm-hmm. i used to like play heavily multiplayer competitive games I played a lot of uh, StarCraft, played a lot of Street Fighter, a lot of Tekken, and a lot of Dota, you know, like, mm-hmm. so uh, starting out, and a lot of, like, even, like, Medal of Honor and uh, and COD, but, like, I was always, like, gravitating towards more of, like, the competitive slash e-sporty style games. Mm-hmm. Um and like, you know, I used to practice a lot, especially when I'm playing like StarCraft or Street Fighter. I would like, when I'm not playing against others, I'm at home practicing or like, you know, playing, doing the same moves over and over and over until I get the execution right so I can get to a more competitive state. And I played, you know, competitively in tournaments and stuff like that in some of those games, especially in StarCraft. Um, but wait, I guess wait, wait. over the Starcraft? years... 
Oh, I played a lot of <laughs> StarCraft. I played. I played. I played World Cyber Games at some point, Rami. Wow. <laughs> but I played Brood Wait, Wars. That was play? like. What did you play? Zerg. Oh, mostly. I hate you already. I was Protoss. Zerg rushing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just uh, lost Protoss a lot. Lurkers, just lurkers everywhere. <laughs> just, just I love <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Brood War, like I didn't play as much StarCraft 2. Like I think, you know, around the time StarCraft 2 is when like um, I was focusing a lot more on making games. So right. I, did, I didn't I didn't compete as much, you know, mm-hmm. so like as uh, and that's when like I think my gaming habits started changing in which like I started playing a lot less competitive games and focusing a lot more on playing everything. And now I'm like more in like the sampling uh way because i feel like because of the my job and my appreciation of the craftsmanship of video games i want to play as many of them as possible therefore i can no way you know play games so deeply in the way that i used to play dota or starcraft or street fighter yeah um yeah Yeah. so you know you, you can't have it all but i think like that's where i've diverged in which like i'd rather have a wider net of games Yes. So I can perform better at my job than like having that super focused um, uh, competitive uh, style of gaming that I used to have. Yep, I, I have me. to actually say my answer is almost the same as yours, almost word for word. It was exactly the same thing. Yeah. I used to play extremely competitive games, especially when it came to fighting games and 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 uh, uh, shooters, and I used to compete as well in tournaments probably without as much wow. success as you but still yeah I, I i used to like i wasn't great but i i played and that was the important part but i tried my best you know what i mean uh, so i was competing and i was practicing in the lab you know in my spare time with like my group of friends and i joined a lot of arcade tournaments and, and fighting games back in the day um and uh loved it i even used to organize chess tournaments just to give you an idea like that that kind of thing was my thing uh, amazing now yeah it was like there's a lot of parallels here uh yeah now there are i think two reasons one is yes i'm i'm, I'm getting older and, and slower and because of that like you know i can't compete at that level anyway like there, there is an age cap to being able to compete at high level and uh there's there are biological reasons for it so you can't really argue with it and you can make up with it a lot with uh experience that's true but not entirely there are still twitch game like you know twitch reactions that are going to put other people on top and that's fine you get used to it after a while the other thing is as i became a game developer yeah i i same as fozy i like to play a lot of variety of games to get ideas from them you know it makes my designs better but also i kind of am able to identify and see loops much faster now and so some games just I see what the loop is. I can project into the future and I could almost figure out if I want to keep playing or not earlier than I used to when I was small. Like the, to a certain degree, the magic is gone or, you know, diminished. Um, and there are only some games that to the, to this day that kind of bring that magic back. Like inscription for me was a recent example of this where I didn't know where it was headed. I had no idea. Everything I guessed was wrong. All the loops were, were off and I really enjoyed it uh, as a result of that, which is how baby Osama used to like every game, like every game was like that for me. But when you become a developer, you kind of see the patterns, uh, you see the matrix and, uh, as a result, some types of games, I don't enjoy them as much or for as long. Once I figure out what the game's about, I 
I lose interest in them. And that's not to the like you know to 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 throw shade on them or anything. I'm not calling anything specific out. I think this is just a part of being a professional in the industry where that is also your hobby, right? I feel that's natural. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I'm I'm quite different here. Like, I was never a competitive gamer. I did competitively play chess, but um, not not video games. Like my my background game, uh, mostly PC. So racing games, strategy games, early shooters. Um, my biggest focus was strategy games, sim games, uh, Transport Tycoon, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, uh, Starcraft, Warcraft, and then mostly spending time in the map editor, right? Uh, making things, making game levels. developer. Yeah, I mean, I, my accidentally, my first game was also my first modded line of code. It's just, it, you know, the only way to play a game was open the code. Um, hmm. So for me, like breaking games was always the more interesting part. So I spent a lot of my StarCraft days just making levels, right? I made some maps. Some maps were even played a bit. Never super popular, but like enough. Um, I um, I switched to more like you know uh, mainstream gaming with the with Game Boy emulation when I started playing the Pokemon's and that sort of thing. Um. So f- for me, uh, it was never competitive. And when I started doing game development, nothing much changed in the way I played games. The only thing that has really changed for me is just the amount of time I have and the amount of time mm. I'm willing to throw at a game. So mm. where before, if I liked something, I would just play it all the way to the end. Now, if I like something, I'm capable of going, I like this. Okay, next. Yeah. <laughs> so f- for me, like, you know, it's really hard to push through an entire game at this point because very frequently I don't feel that rewards me in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's a little bit of the professional deformation that the two of you were talking about, where it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Cool. And for me to have a game that makes me go, like, no, 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 I, I, I want to finish this as a player, I want to finish this. Uh, that, that's become uh, more and more rare, right? Like, I really like the new Pokemon. I don't think I'm ever going to see the end of it, right? I'm enjoying the yeah. new I'm enjoying the new God of War. I'm not necessarily at the end yet. I'm getting closer, but like it's really costing me effort. Mm-hmm. So for me to, you know, like Destiny is sort of like my main thing now and I just like it because it's Skype for me, you know? I just <laughs> jump in with a friend and talk for like 2 hours while we punch aliens. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of <laughs> it. So yeah, no, I, t- I was about uh, to yeah. say, like, for you, Rami, there's probably like a pre destiny and a post destiny <laughs> gaming <laughs> habit era. Yeah, it, absolutely. And I think the, the funniest thing about Destiny is my favorite thing in Destiny is to teach new players Destiny. Mm. Like, to just mm-hmm. sit down with somebody and be like, you know, okay, so the interface is awful and it's going to take a while, but we're going to get you some good items. What kind of weapons do you like? This one? Okay, let me help you on like this secret quest to get an item that is exactly like the way you want, you know? Um, I would argue that um, you and maybe the three of us, we just like to teach people stuff generally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And you just have that in you, Rami. Like if it's Destiny or anything else, you would just want to teach people stuff. That's very true. You know what, Osama, though, and and, and Fauzi, like if, if you two are okay and you're happy with the answers you've given, I'm happy with the answers I've given. I think... There was one other part of the email that I really wanted to like put put a put a a, a pointer on or or a little like mark, which is the end yeah, where he, he talks about the um, uh, you know 
being vulnerable about feelings and like talking about uh, with each other about things. And I will mm-hmm. say, I I do notice that difference between between the cultures a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, like the 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 word Habibi and the reason the podcast is called Habibi is it's 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 a term of like pretty strong endearment. Of endearment, yeah, right, yep, and it's. It, it's closest to like dear or, or darling or friend, but it can mean all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very versatile word, but it, it's a very strong word of endearment. And there's never any like, I've never felt any friction in using the word, even for people I've just met, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I have like a good connection with them and, you know, I, I just want them to quickly go grab something, you can just say, like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you can get away with that. That's totally fine, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's context, and there's but like, I don't think I would ever do that in a Western context. Like, use a word yeah. that kind of feels like Habibi, and I, I've always found that like surprisingly <clears throat> healthy. <clears throat> there's a lot of like ways in which the Arab culture has has its issues and has like, but I think this is actually a fairly good thing. Is you know, yeah, like people it's hug. It's important to call out and the they laugh things. and they talk, um, and they can talk openly, frequently about a lot of things. Now, obviously, depending on the culture and the circumstances, some topics are more or less accessible. But mm-hmm. I, I've generally found that I, that's been a very valuable part of my life, and it was really cool to see somebody acknowledge that because for me, it becomes invisible, right? And as mm. I was reading Charles's email, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, that actually, that is that is it, it is nice that I have, you know, the two of you as my habibis to chat with, to talk to to about things, and it it's this I really wonderful habibis. sort of thing. Yeah, no. but that's the thing, yeah. right? Like I, you said I it that's... a lot, but I look forward to this every week. I really do. Yeah, same. You you two are wonderful. And I think it's uh. just it's a very valuable thing to sort of like undescribe that. I think everybody deserves these kinds of friendships where they're just open and vulnerable and honest with each other and they can talk about good things and bad things and feelings and and cool things and just exchange thoughts and give perspective. And I've had a pretty rough end of year and you two have been there to talk with and and offer advice and perspective and guidance. And that that has been really, really like instrumental for me. So I, you know, for me reading that and just sort of like, taking this moment to acknowledge that this whole podcast has been super important to me and your friendship has been really important to me. I thought it was a good moment to sort of like take a second and emphasize that. That That's so nice to hear. I mean, so beautiful. Thank yes. you. And yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Charles, for writing that email. Like it, uh, it touched all of us, I guess, in so many ways. And um, yeah, thank you, Rami, for, for what you just said. Also means a lot to me, too. You, you know, you know how it is. I don't want to get all mushy at the end of the podcast, though. Too late. <laughs> so I can get, I can get very so mushy, let's though. Get a, let's get a mushy ending to these this podcast. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's mush on together quickly. Let's mush something together. <laughs> if anybody else wants to make fuzzy mushy at the end of an episode, please do send us mushy emails at info at habibis.com specifically for Osama or Fauzi's impression of Osama, which is impossible to distinguish. <laughs> As we've all figured out. <laughs> yep. Love it. For it's now, me laughing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's me too. I'm posy. <laughs> For now, I think we're going to put a doily on this one. 
Daily time. Thank you so much, for everybody, for tuning in for another episode of The Habibis. We will be back, inshallah, with a new episode next week. In the meanwhile, do send us emails, info at thehabibis.com. Check out our Discord, discord.thehabibis.com. Thanks so much for listening. For now, salam. 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 That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I was Rami Ismail, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami. My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias. And Fauzi Mesmar, who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. The intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubayla. And the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea. With new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening and salam.